HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Zoop Good Really Good, which makes premium flavor-forward broths and broth concentrates crafted with home cooks in mind. For more information, visit www.zoopbroth.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome the 2022 recipient of the Julia Child Award, Grace Young. In this episode, we'll talk to Grace about what the award means to her, why saving Chinese restaurants and Chinatowns is so vital, and we'll hear Grace's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the first episode of the 15th season of Inside Julia's Kitchen. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. We're thrilled to start this season featuring the Julia Child Award, which naturally was inspired by Julia herself. In establishing the award, the Foundation's trustees wanted to spotlight those in the food world following in Julia's footsteps big shoes to fill, both literally and figuratively. The award criteria are lofty. We're looking for someone who is an educator, communicator, innovator, mentor, and bridge builder, who acts with independence, integrity, and public spirit. Yep, just as Julia could be demanding and exacting, so are we. But each year, the jury comes through recognizing someone whose accomplishments rise to or often above Julia's. The Julia Child Award was created by the foundation to shine a light on those still in their prime 
who are making a profound and significant difference in the way Americans cook, eat, and drink. The recognition comes with a $50,000 grant from the foundation to enable the recipient to further the work that matters most to them. You also get a beautiful engraved copper pan. This year, the jury selected Grace Young, recognizing her contributions to preserving and sharing Chinese cuisine as an author, historian, and activist. Grace has devoted her career to preserving Chinese home cooking and walk traditions. She has received six IACP and three James Beard Awards for her cookbooks, videos, and humanitarian work. After years as a test kitchen director and director of food photography for Time Life Books, Grace returned to her roots to learn her family's traditional dishes. This led to her first award-winning book, The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen, Classic Family Recipes for Celebration and Healing. As her exploration continued, Grace spent many years preserving the tradition of cooking with a carbon steel wok and sharing its importance with American home cooks. Self-identifying as a walk therapist, she also co-authored the book, The Breath of a Walk, Unlocking the Spirit of Walk Cooking Through Recipes and Lore, created her walk therapist and the Breath of a Walk videos, and runs a popular Facebook group, Walk Wednesdays. While esteemed for her cookbooks and teaching, for example, Kenji Lopez-Ald, whom we spoke to in episode 151, credits Grace with establishing that stir-frying is more a toss-fry or a tumble-fry in his recent tome, The Walk. Grace has taken on a leadership role as the pandemic unfolded. Horrified by the store closures, as well as animosity towards Asian-American business owners and Chinatown residents in the wake of COVID-19, Grace became an advocate for their importance to American culture and for their very survival. As the eighth recipient of the Julia Child Award, Grace will share the $50,000 grant from the foundation with five different nonprofit organizations which support Chinese restaurants, chefs, and low-income and food-insecure Asian-American communities in Chinatowns in Boston, New York, Oakland, San Francisco, and Honolulu. Upon learning that she was this year's award recipient, Grace said, Julia's passion, wisdom, and authenticity has been a guiding force throughout my culinary journey. I'm proud to have upheld Julia's legacy by sharing my culinary heritage with millions of home cooks. Grace is only the second guest we've had on the podcast twice, following Tony Tipton Martin, who received the Julia Child Award in 2021. If you'd like to hear our first conversation with Grace about COVID's impact on Chinese restaurants, check out episode 101. She joins us today to talk about receiving the 2022 Julia Child Award and to give us an update on the state of America's Chinatowns today. Welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thank you, Todd. Well, we're glad you could join us a second time to talk about uh, this passionate cause and kind of give us an update because it's been two years. But before we talk about Chinatowns, just I wanted to ask you, how did that feel to be named the 2022 Julia Child Award recipient? Well, I have to say it's still hard to believe. Um, I've known about the award now for a few months. And last week, uh, as you well know, the Julia Child Foundation tweeted about the Food History Gala that's coming up mm -hmm. and that I'll be the recipient of the Julia Child Award. 
And I had to read the tweet several times, you know, and I realized that as I was reading it over and over again, that there is a part of me that uh, still doesn't believe that this is happening um, and that the reality hasn't sunk in. But um, I'm beyond honored uh, to be receiving this as Julia has been an inspiration for me since I was a child. And I know that without Julia, I would not have had a free career. And why do you think, you, you know, for the, you and I both remember, and I know what you said in your first Julia moment, which I think reflects on that, but since we're, that's back in episode 101, why, why do you feel, maybe you could explain to the audience, like why you feel this intimate connection with Julia? Well, I discovered Julia uh, as a child on television. And I wish I could remember all the details of how, you know, I was channel flipping and discovered her or whatever. But all I remember is that I was mesmerized. Uh, the French Chef uh, cooking show on PBS became my favorite show. I was hooked. Uh, all the food that she cooked was completely exotic and foreign to me because I had grown up eating classic Cantonese food. And I wanted to, to cook all the dishes she was demonstrating. So um, I used to send a self-addressed envelope to WGBH in Boston so that I could receive that week's recipe. And my mom let me start cooking in the kitchen all these exotic French dishes. Um, my first dish was brioche, or my first recipe was brioche. Um, and I was just hooked on French cooking. So, um, and I found a local teacher and started studying. And from that, uh, it led me to uh, get an internship program with dough pineapple and working with a local recipe developer and food stylist. So, Everything, just a path was laid out for me because of my connection to Julia and what she was doing. And is that one of the reasons you kind of have this pinch me feeling about being the award recipient this year? Uh, the pinch me is really not in a million years would I have ever dreamed that I would be the recipient of such a prestigious award and, uh, Julia has been my inspiration, and uh, the past recipients are all food heroes in my life, and it, it's just totally unreal. It's really uh, a completely unbelievable moment for me. Well, we can't wait to, you know, jump you into the gang in a, in a, in a few weeks' time. So one thing on that note, I, I know from talking to you in other moments that you take great pride in being the first Asian American recipient of, of the Julia Child Award. Could you could you tell us a little bit wh why that's so meaningful to you? Um, well, it's particularly meaningful to be the first Asian American after what the Asian American community has gone through um, since the pandemic. It has just been such a time of hardship and despair. And I am extra proud uh, that my Chinatown activism is being acknowledged by the Julia Child Foundation and um, the support 
of the foundation for Chinatown and the AAPI community is huge. Um, and oftentimes, I think Asian Americans are underrepresented. And uh, it's often said that we are invisible. Asian American history has not been taught in schools for all these years. And so um, it's really a huge, huge honor to be the first Asian American. And I wish my parents were alive to see this. Yeah, I think, and, and one of the things I think you're commenting in particular, although I do think it's changing, but it's a recent change, is in Asian Americans, certainly, you know, maybe you could say are overrepresented now at American universities. But I think part of what you're talking about is in the larger mainstream cultural conversation, whether it's in the news media, whether it's in the food world, whether it's in the entertainment industry. Is that kind of what you were alluding to? or Exactly. Like? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think the latest figure that I read was that uh, Asian Americans make up 3% of Congress. Um, it's that uh, there are very, very few Asian American executives. Uh, John Yang of PBS tweeted recently that he is only uh, one of two Asian American journalists covering uh, politics nationally. Well, no, and I, I think that's really great to highlight and is, I think, something that when you say it, it sort of makes sense. But if you're not Asian American, it's not something you're thinking about. And and um, I think it's important. So as I mentioned, it was nearly two years ago, which also seems hard to believe, that we had the conversation with you kind of at the, I don't know if it's right to say the beginning, but the early days or earlier stage of your advocacy about just how terrible the situation was both business, morale, attitudinally in Chinatowns and with Chinese restaurants and what they were facing at that time at the height of the pandemic. So can you give us an update of like your assessment of where do things stand right now? Well, it remains a very challenging time. Uh, right now, there are 50 shuttered storefronts on Grant Avenue in San Francisco's Chinatown, which I'm born and raised in San Francisco. I think in my lifetime, I've never seen more than three shuttered storefronts. Uh, this is absolutely heartbreaking and devastating. Uh, I'm based in New York City and here. Uh, there are a few restaurants uh, in Chinatown that are doing well, but in general, um, Chinatowns and Chinese restaurants across the country continue to struggle. Um, right now, uh, after the summer, you know, during the summer, we saw, uh, the streets were pretty crowded during the daytime and there was a vitality that was pre pandemic like, but, uh, by four thirty, five o'clock, so many of the shops are already starting to close, which used to stay open until six thirty seven. Normally, uh, Asian Americans, Chinese Americans would get off work and swing through Chinatown to buy some groceries, to uh, maybe eat something before they headed home. But because of anti-Asian hate crimes, that continue to be an issue. Most people now, when they're finished with work, just go directly home. And so that means that uh, little mom and pop businesses are not getting the business that they used to. And that also means that restaurants are often very quiet 
by seven or eight o'clock, definitely on weeknights. So um, Chinatowns in San Francisco, New York, and Boston that are historic uh, have always been dependent on tourism and tourists have come back, but not to the numbers that they had pre-pandemic. Um, in San Francisco and Boston, the Chinatowns are adjacent to the financial districts and those workers have not returned. So that means that it impacts the businesses in Chinatown and uh, from shops, markets, bakeries to restaurants, they are not making what they did pre-pandemic. And um, it's particularly critical that locals are not coming out in the evenings for dinner. I mean, of course there are some, but in the spring there was a small study that came out that indicated that 75% of Asian seniors in the New York City area are afraid to leave their homes because of anti-Asian hate crimes. And so it's really more important than ever that everybody show up to Chinatown and show your support because if these businesses are not getting the normal visitation and uh, customer patronage that they used to, they will not survive. Now, Grace, for those who don't live in a city that has you know, a very formal or clearly defined Chinatown, what are you hearing from just the Chinese restaurateurs, for example? Um, I think all AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander mom and pop businesses, uh, are not all, but many of them across the country are suffering. And so if you don't have a local Chinatown, try and uh, support your local Vietnamese, Korean, um, Malaysian, uh, Chinese, whatever uh, AAPI business uh, from the restaurants to the markets because they, they truly need our support. And the other issue that all of these mom and pop businesses are dealing with is that uh, like everyone else, they have supply chain issues, so it's hard to get certain ingredients, um, and they're dealing with inflation. One restaurateur said to me that pre-pandemic for a jug of cooking oil was $26, and now it's $59. Wow. And more alarming, and all food costs have gone up. And on top of that, energy costs have doubled. Mm. Uh, I spoke to the, to this restaurant owner in the spring and his um, gas and electric had gone up maybe 40%. He said pre-pandemic, he was paying about $5,000 a month. Now he is paying almost $10,000. That's just electricity and gas, but water prices have gone up. And the problem in Chinatown is the Chinatown business model is based on razor-thin profit margins. So whether or not you're uh, operating a produce market or a restaurant, the, they, they mark up the prices very little because they are assuming they will sell lots of their product. So in a restaurant, you know, they are selling wonton noodle soup for $6.50 a bowl. And if you account for the cost of the ingredients, the labor, the rent, um, 
the uh, electricity, gas, water, garbage, insurance, how much profit margin could there possibly be in a bowl that is being charged six, that, that you're charging $6.50? So it's so teeny, but they are hoping or assuming that they're going to sell 300 bowls that day. But if the locals aren't coming in and they're, they don't have the business that they're accustomed to having, if you're selling 50 bowls, you are not even going to break, break even. So all of the businesses in Chinatown are based on razor thin profit margins, and they will not survive given inflation, rising costs of energy, and the fact that so many locals are afraid to come in because of anti-Asian hate crimes. And I think this is a good time just before we go to break. A question that I remember asking you in episode 101 when we spoke, what's at stake if these businesses do fail? What's at stake is the loss of Chinatowns. And uh, we have lost many Chinatowns in this country uh, in, in the last years. We've lost the Chinatown in Washington, D.C. There's only one block of that Chinatown that's left. There used to be a vibrant Chinatown in Portland, Oregon. Um, L.A.'s Chinatown is really just a shadow of its former self. And Chinatowns are so important because they represent the American story. We are a land of immigrants, and Chinatowns represent um, the assimilation of immigrants into this country. Chinatowns have always been a gateway, an entry point for um, immigrants to get a foothold uh, in this country and to make a life for themselves. And Chinatowns are also so important because um, Chinese food is part of the American landscape, right? Um, I think it's Jennifer Aitley, the author, who wrote about the fact that we always think of apple pie as the quintessential American food. But when was the last time you had apple pie? And when was the last time you had Chinese food? And if you Google what is the most popular ethnic food in America, it's Chinese food. We have such a long history in this country. And so um, it's very important to protect Chinatown because it represents our history. And uh, when we lose a part of our past, we lose a part of ourselves. And it's such a vibrant, uh, important community for, for all Americans, not just for the Chinese. Um, it's a place where food justice is part of the identity, where you can buy uh, the freshest produce at the lowest prices so that people that um, are on a low income can actually eat very, very well and nutritiously. And it's not just Chinese, but when you go into Chinatown, I always love the fact that I'm hearing the voices of people from with, you know, South American accents, Caribbean accents, um, people from all across the city come to Chinatown the Thanks, Grace. That, that, that's a very, I think, poignant expression of the importance. I appreciate it. After the break, we'll be back with more from this year's Julia Child Award recipient, cookbook author, and Chinatown advocate, 
Grace Young. Stay with us. Zoo Good, Really Good is proud to offer Home Cooks a collection of flavored forward broths and broth concentrates. Sold in glass jars, the gourmet broth lineup includes chicken, beef, veggie, and seafood broths, plus bone broths. For even more versatility, Zoo offers new culinary concentrates available in chicken bone broth, beef bone broth, and savory vegan. All flavor and no fillers, these clean-label broth bases easily boost the taste of casseroles, pastas, and rice dishes. Short on time, Zoop just launched new shelf-stable premium soups for enjoying a gourmet meal in minutes. All products are free of artificial ingredients, preservatives, gluten, and GMOs, and are available at your favorite retailers across the country, plus online at zoopbroth.com. Browse recipes and learn more at zoopbroth.com or by following at zoopgoodreallygood on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back. We're talking to the 2022 recipient of the Julia Child Award, multi-award winning cookbook author and Saving Chinatown's advocate, Grace Young. So Grace, you you were telling us quite um, eloquently about the peril and also the importance of Chinatowns. I wanted to flip to the sort of, you know, what we're doing about it and uh, particularly what you're doing about it. And so could you tell us a little bit, I mentioned at the top of the show about the grant funds that uh, are going to come from the foundation that come to every award recipient and how you're uh, choosing to use them. Um, Well, I have been concerned about the legacy businesses in Chinatowns throughout the country. Uh, In 2020, I saw that New York City's Chinatown lost too many legacy businesses. Um, We lost a restaurant, Hop Sing, that had been part of the community for over 50 years. We lost uh, Lung Moon Bakery, also over 50 years. WK Restaurant, which had been part of Chinatown for over 65 years. And these businesses not only served wonderful food, but they were part of the heart and soul that make Chinatown special. And in the last month, I've seen uh, a new pizza joint, uh, an espresso shop, bubble tea, ice cream, Uh, Korean fried chicken. And I know Chinatown needs to evolve, but it's those old legacy restaurants that are as iconic as the Oyster Bar in Grand Central. And without them, you just have a tourist Chinatown. You don't have a Chinatown with heart and soul. And so um, I want to give the money to five different Chinatowns and the money will go to nonprofits in each Chinatown who will in turn give it to uh, two legacy restaurants. And the restaurants will use the money to feed those who are in need in the community from low income to seniors. Um, The one place that we're not doing uh, two restaurants is in San Francisco and they're all the money will go to one restaurant, the Far East Cafe, which is 
uh, the oldest banquet restaurant in San Francisco's Chinatown. It's over 100 years old. When I was a child growing up, we would eat in the Far East Cafe for casual family meals, but we went there so often for banquets. And uh, right now, it is the last banquet restaurant, which is part of the culture and custom of Chinese life is to celebrate uh, banquets. But right now, because so many of the older generation that uh, loves the tradition of banquets, uh, they're afraid to come in. Uh, because of COVID, they're afraid to uh, have a large gathering. And so pre-pandemic, I think um, the Far East Cafe used to do like three or four banquets a week. And right now they're um, doing maybe one once a week or one every two weeks. So this restaurant has never relied on walk-in customers or takeout to survive. And they, they need everything right now. But um, the idea that we could lose the Far East Cafe, which also has incredible uh, architecture and uh, the interior design is spectacular, is so... Um, so painful. So um, it's. I'm very grateful to the Julia Child Foundation for this grant money, and hopefully it can help these restaurants survive and also protect uh, community members who are dealing with food insecurity. Well, and I love that we're able through your idea, which is very similar to what your fellow Julia Child Award recipient Jose Andres has done with World Central Kitchen, that you're you kind of get a two for one. You help the restaurant by providing them money to make more food, which then goes to food insecure commu local communities. So you're kind of getting a double benefit, which which I think is fantastic. Yes, in, in Chinese we call this double happiness. Oh, okay. You can apply the double happiness to, yeah. to this as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, let, let, we'll look forward to the report on the outcome of the double happiness and hopefully the future survival of the Far East Cafe. So you mentioned before about patronage being key. Um, is that the main way we can be better allies to the Asian American community for those who are, who are, you know, particularly moved and motivated by what you're saying, or, or there's some other thoughts you have about, you know, allyship and, and support? Um, I think really showing up to your local Chinatown or AAPI mom and pop restaurant or business is so critical right now. And I think that uh, it's very important that we all raise awareness of how Chinatowns and AAPI mom and pop businesses are suffering. I, I think as we come out of the pandemic, everyone thinks that uh, we're going back to life as, as usual. But Chinatowns uh, suffered um, uh, at the start of the pandemic before everyone else suffered. You know, in January of 2020, Chinatowns across the United States already emptied out because of misinformation and xenophobia. And people had this notion that to go to Chinatown and catch the coronavirus, even though there was no higher incidence of coronavirus in Chinatowns. And so Chinatowns have suffered in January and February before the lockdown. 
And then after the lockdown was lifted, um, there was, as I said to you earlier, Chinatowns in Boston, San Francisco, and New York are dependent on tourism. There were no tourists in 2020. Mm-hmm. So, so many of these businesses have dealt with mounting debt. There are landlords who were kind and you know lowered the rent or uh, uh, let uh, some of the businesses get by for like a month or two without having to pay rent. But I've heard of many businesses where the landlord was um, pounding the uh, the businesses even during lockdown for rent when they knew that they weren't making anything. Mm-hmm. So they have dealt with mounting debt from not only rent but other bills. And as I said, they're dealing with um, inflation and the fact that they don't have the normal patronage of customers that they are accustomed to having. So it's so critical for all of us to show up at the restaurants, markets, um, bakeries, uh, and give spend money in any way that we can. And I often like will ask my neighbors or friends if they need anything so that when I make my trip into Chinatown, I'm actually like bringing in a little bit more business because I'm doing a favor for a friend and picking up some takeout for them or some produce. I was just struck by also what you've been di- diplomatically saying that mis- this is a perfect example of, of the great peril of misinformation and not only the damage it can do, even when it's not maybe continuing at the same level, the long-term and long-lasting damage it can do. Exactly. So I'm hoping we can turn um, what is maybe a pessimistic conversation more optimistic. And I was just curious if, you know, given this journey of advocacy that you've been on, are you at least more optimistic about the future of Chinatowns and Chinese restaurants in America than you were maybe the end of 2020? Or is it about the same? And then I was curious if there are any examples of bright spots or a turnaround story or example that you might be able to share. Um, We're still at a really precarious moment. You know, when you have 50 shuttered storefronts on Grant Avenue, uh, that is, we're on the edge right now. And the only certainty is uncertainty. Um, But it's really heartwarming uh, when I get the message out to people. Everyone loves Chinatown. And, uh, and when I say to them, if we don't show up, there's a possibility you could get a CVS or a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods on Grant Avenue or Mott Street. That's when it sinks in. And I think that people have just taken Chinatown for granted and, like myself, assumed it will always be there. But I think the pandemic has taught us that we can't take anything for granted now. Um, on the very, very uh, bright side, I'm partnering with the James Beard Foundation and the Na- National Trust for Historic Preservation on the Save Chinatowns campaign. It's a social media campaign that uh, we will be starting in the fall to raise awareness that Chinatowns are a sacred part of America and that we need to 
show our support constantly. Um, and what's also very bright on the horizon is the National Trust for Historic Preservation is serious about protecting Chinatowns. And they will be doing a America's Chinatowns uh, uh, focal point. Uh, this this uh, year, their conference starts November 1 to 4. It's going to be virtual. It's called uh, Pass Forward, and it's focused on saving Chinatowns. And I actually will be participating and in conversation about the importance of Chinatowns uh, in America's history. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Do you, do you want to say a little bit more about the project you're doing with the Beard Foundation? Uh, sure. Um, so the Save Chinatowns campaign is a national campaign um, through social media. And uh, we are reaching out to uh, well-known chefs and celebrities to do videos speaking about their love of Chinatown, because everyone has a connection, and to remind the public that Chinatowns are an important part of the American story. And uh, we'll be giving tips about uh, special places and restaurants to eat at in Chinatown. And uh, the hashtag will be Save Chinatowns. And I'm so pleased that the National Trust for Historic Preservation will be joining forces with us. And I'll give a shout out to um, the LA's only cookbook dedicated store now serving, which is Chinatown adjacent in, in downtown LA. So many ways beyond even food that, that you can support. You just need to look for those local gems. And as you were mentioning that these unique stores add uh, as much as we might like Trader Joe's, a unique character that 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 is special. And that that's um, I assume what you're looking to sort of use the campaign to point out. Yes. And um, let me just say, I think I didn't say it uh, very well before, but it's so important that the National Trust for Historic Preservation is doing this America's Chinatowns um, program because uh, they have recognized that Chinatowns are such an important part of the American story. That's perfectly said. All right, after the break, we'll hear Grace's second Julia moment. Enjoying this episode? You can join us for more. We're finally back in person for the 2022 presentation of the Julia Child Award at the eighth annual Smithsonian Food History Gala on October 13, 2022. Tickets are on sale. You can go to amhistory.si.edu forward slash donate forward slash food hyphen gala, or probably easier to just Google Smithsonian Food History Weekend. Funds raise support the Smithsonian's American Food History Project, which includes the preservation of Julia's Kitchen. It promises to be a very delicious evening celebrating Grace Young as well as Chinese American culture. We hope to see you on October 13th in Washington, DC. Let us know what you think of today's show. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. Stay with us, we'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. 
well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. I've challenged Grace to top what is an amazing Julia moment in episode 101. So if you want to hear that, you'll have to go back and listen. But Grace, for the record, what's your second official Julia moment? Well, um, after The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen was published, I was uh, invited to attend a, a Lunar New Year banquet uh, given by the American Institute of Wine and Food. And I had the good fortune to sit next to Julia uh, throughout the banquet. And um, as the evening proceeded, there was a steady stream of guests that would suddenly show up, you know, standing next to Julia. And she would look up and they would uh, just very, everyone was always very polite and courteous and Miss Child, I just wanted to tell you how much you mean to me and that my daughter and I have cooked from your books for years or my mother and I have cooked from your books or my sister and I. Or It was so sweet and loving. And every person that came to the table, Julia would look up, make eye contact. She would ask their name. Where were they from? she would really engage in a conversation with them. And as I watched this happen, I, at, at first I just thought to myself, well, that's my story. You know, like, Joy, you mean so much to me. But as I listened to story after story after story, I realized that we all have this very personal connection to Julia. And um, it was very powerful to see how deeply she has touched people and just it, it was just uh, an extraordinary moment to see all this love expressed back to her and you realize that she has given us all so much over the years and profoundly changed the way we cook and the way we think about food. And for you, that, that's kind of all encapsulated in that memory. It is. Um, yeah. And it's very, it was really beautiful to see how humble Julia was. Um, and, and that she just took the time to speak to people and enjoyed the interaction of um, meeting new people. Um, yeah. It, it was just a really wonderful thing. And the other thing that was sort of amusing about that evening was that they gave Julia a name tag. And so the photo that was taken from that night, it's always so glaring to see this name tag, Julia Child, that she has on her uh, blouse. And I, I always think, like, the last person in the world in that room that, I mean, everybody knows who Julia is. Why did they give her a name tag? <laughs> But that's so Julia right that she wore it because she didn't yeah. go into rooms assuming that people would recognize her or know who she is, even though yeah. she was pretty recognizable. Well, I love that. Well, thank you 
so much for joining us again, Grace. And it's a real honor to help support your important advocacy. Thank you, Todd. And thanks, everyone, for listening. If you want to know and hear more from Grace and about her activities, you can follow her. It's at StirFryGuru on Instagram and at StirFryGrace on Twitter. And you can also watch the Walk Therapist video on GraceYoung.com. Check out JuliaChildAward.com for more info and about its past recipients. For the latest from the foundation, it's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. Planning is ongoing for more Santa Barbara Culinary Experience events. So make sure you're following at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at GBH. Thanks to my co-producer of the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Armin Spengen. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.